If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're completing our study today of the Beatitudes. We've been there for eight weeks, just covering a few verses. And uh, as we've looked at Matthew chapter 5, it reminds us in a real sense about how often in life we pursue happiness in the ways that we think are going to cause us joy. The kind of if and then, if I have this happen in my life, if I get this, whatever, then I'll be happy. But realizing that God's Word says something totally different. Uh, we talked about it, call it the paradox principle, that to really to experience, um, I, I guess what you call real happiness in life, what I must understand is that I must die to myself so that God can grace something new within me. And so basically if we talked about this over the last several weeks, I'm just going to go back and read up to the day where we are, um, the verses. It says in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about what it means to be poor in spirit, that God wants us to be humble and come before him in humility. And secondly, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That we must come to a place in life that mourning is not something we see as negative, but is something that's positive. And we must mourn our sin, and we must realize that uh, the, the down things in life sometimes can be positive as well. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the people who simply have this, uh, this ability in life to do things, but that strength under control is meekness in a real sense, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, whose main thrust in life is hungering and thirsting about the things that God would have us hunger and thirst over instead of other things. Blessed are the merciful, the person who shows mercy to others. And we talked about this, and kind of in the midst of that, we were talking about mercy as really love and action. And, and, and over the last several weeks, um, we've expressed that in, in very tangible ways here at Great Oaks through the giving of the shoeboxes, through uh, helping families at Thanksgiving. We continue to do that along the way. And we'll talk about how we can do that even more next year as we talk about how each one of us each day can make an impact on people in our lives individually as we go through our daily lives. God wants us to have love in action, have mercy for, towards others. Then blessed are the pure in heart. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how important it is to be focused upon the right things and allow God to change our hearts. And then blessed are the peacemakers, people who pursue peace, not just like to have peaceful situations, all of us like peace, but who pursue peace and reconciliation and forgiveness with others as well. Those are the people, the Bible says, that are truly, that are truly happy, that are truly have the kind of joy and the peace inside their lives that needs to be had. And then we come to the very last section, uh, verses actually 10, 11, and 12 of the Beatitudes, which deals with the very last thing, and it doesn't seem to fit at all because it sounds so contrary to everything that we would think about in regards to what it means to be happy, to have joy in our life, to have inner, inner peace in our life. Because it says this in verses 10, 11, and 12 of, the, of uh, Matthew chapter 5. It says, happier those who were persecuted... <laughs> Yeah, that makes me real happy to be persecuted. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. And then in verse 12, be happy and glad for a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how the prophets who lived before you were persecuted. You see, there's this myth in our society that says to us, in a, in a sense, is that, is that in order to be happy, I must be approved by everybody. You know, people need to like me. I must be approved by everybody. But does that work at all? To have people like you? I mean, the fact is, is that's impossible. We understand that's impossible. You can't please everybody. Jesus said if you follow him, though, he says, 
that there are going to be many people, even if you're a person who follows Jesus perfectly, there will be persons who are not going to approve of your decision. They're not going to like you. You're going to be hassled for your faith. You're going to have harassment for your faith. You may even be persecuted for your faith. And, and, and that's where he comes to this final beatitude today, this thing. And really, as we go back and think about that paradox principle, it really fits because really, in a real sense, it's the opposite of what we would think. We would think, you know, that if, if I'm really going to be happy, I have to have this peaceful, calm, everybody likes me kind of life. But Jesus says if you're doing the right things, sometimes people are not going to like you. They may even persecute you. You know, even Jesus himself, if you look at Scripture, did everybody like Jesus? I mean, if you read Scripture, I mean, the people that most persecuted Jesus was whom? Religious people. They had a problem with him because he didn't go along with their plan. He, he made them look at, uh, because when you hold up uh, the light to the darkness, what does it do to the darkness? It makes it even appear more darker. And so the thing is, is that Jesus was saying to us here, it says, if you really want to be, uh, understand that peace and happiness and joy and all these things, the things we pursue in life are attainable, you have to understand that sometimes it means that you're going to be persecuted. But there's a reason for it, and it's all right. That's what he's saying. So we're going to look at that today because... You see, Jesus gives more space to this one beatitude than any of the other ones. Have you noticed that? Three verses to this one beatitude, this one idea, this one whole thing of persecution. Because he's saying that happy and healthy are those who handle rejection well. He's saying that happy and healthy are those whose beliefs are so strong that they can withstand any attack. You know, Jesus did say when he said, follow him, what did he say? He said, take up your cross. He didn't say, you know, go to Disney World. He said, take up your cross. And there's nothing wrong with Disney World now. But, you know, he did. He said that. So how do you handle harassment when you're persecuted for your faith? We're going to talk about today. First of all, we just have to acknowledge the reality of harassment. The reality of harassment is this. It says in verse, remember going back in verse 11a, it says, when people insult you, not if. Did you notice the when? I mean, it, it's saying it's going to happen. If you're a follower of Christ and you go against the tide and the flow of the culture you're in, because you will if you're a follower of Christ, then it says when people insult you, it says, it, it says in a real sense that the world is going to, uh, you know, it's gonna, in a real sense it's going to uh, uh, harass you. Not if. And I see this as the world becomes more and more secular, it's getting more and more hostile to Christianity. As America becomes more and more secular, it becomes more and more hostile to Christianity. I was amazed the other day, I had a couple of weeks ago, I had an encounter, I had a, actually a luncheon with some pastors from our denomination, FEC. Some, there's, there's a bunch of churches, the FEC churches in central Illinois, and, and um, I had lunch with them, and I'm on the elder board for the denomination, our denomination to kind of like oversee some things. And, and we were sitting talking, and one of the guys I was talking with was a guy who had been a missionary in one of our uh, overseas for 11 years in, in England. Hey, man, that's cool. It's on. Okay, the jacuzzi's back here. Anybody want to jump in? Go right for it. Okay. Uh, but the issue was is that, is that he'd been a missionary for 11 years in England in a place called the Oaks. Now, we think of England as a, as, as a very nice place to live, right? I thought so. And I asked him, why is he coming back from England? And he started telling me the story. He said a couple, uh, several years ago, he and his wife thought about adopting a child. They have several children of their own, but they became, uh, they became very, very uh, 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 
overwhelmed with the immensity of, of orphans in the world. Do you know there's 140 million orphans in the world? 140 million. And he said, the thing is, is in thir- most of these are in third world countries and most of them will never be adopted. And most of them live in such poverty that they have hardly any, you know, it just made me begin to think about, well, is this something maybe as a church we need to think about? Anyway, we'll talk about that more later. But the issue is, is that he began to talk about that. He said he and his wife became convinced they needed to adopt. And so they began the process of trying to adopt a child from Ethiopia. Well, in, in England, what happened is you found out because of the way the culture is set up there and the nation's set up, if you want to adopt, you have, if you live in a certain region, what you must do, you must go through an agency there that they assign you. You don't have options. They assign you the adoption agency. And so they began the process of going and having their family study. Now, this is a, a Christian missionary family who has served God on a foreign mission field for a major portion of their life. Okay? Just paint the picture. A few months after they started doing the study, the, this, this mission this uh, adoption agency came to them and told them this. They said, because we consider you, your family, a high risk for adoption because of your faith. This is in England. We're not talking about Albania. Okay? I would understood it there because that's an atheistic culture. But because of that, because that culture, do you know in England now that the majority of England is now is more Muslim than it is anything else? And it's not just neutral. It's antagonistic toward Christianity. And so we have to understand that, that, that as the world gets more and more secular, it's getting more and more hostile to Christianity. That's the reality of harassment, when people insult you. The reason for harassment, in the next part of that verse, it says, the reason we are harassed is because we are his followers. Because you are my followers, in verse 11b. Why is, should that, why is that cause to be harassed? Well, because if you look at what, and we've been talking about this, if you look at what a believer is supposed to look like, a believer looks a little bit different like the rest of the world. We have to ask ourselves sometimes, am I really following Christ if we look just like everybody else? If, we, if our priorities are just like everybody else? If our goals are just like everybody else's in the world? Because a believer looks different. And their goals, their priorities, how they spend their resources and their time. And because of that, anytime you're different, guess what people do? They pull back. Anytime we see somebody who's different, we have to ask ourselves, you know, we have to, we kind of pull back a little bit. In John 15, 20, it says this, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Because that's, part of the, that's part of the deal. That's another reason. And then in 2 Timothy three twelve, it says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, people become uncomfortable around righteousness, around goodness. Righteousness has a way of making sin more obvious by contrast. And that's why we as believers, as we do what God desires of us, it's not that we become obnoxious, but simply living a godly life and saying no to certain things and yes to other things, it makes us different. And so because of that, it causes people to begin to ask the question like, like over in England. I mean, you guys are not, you know, you're different than us. You can't adopt a child. You're different than us. We don't like you. See, the more positive you are, the more negative people are, are going to dislike you, even hate you, maybe. So that's the reason for harassment. 
So today I want to talk basically, though, about this. What is our response to this? Because we've been talking about how can we pursue happiness in life, not just this this external if-then type of happiness, but the real happiness that comes in life. And really what the Bible is saying, as I look at it more and more clearly here, is the fact is, yeah, we're going to be harassed for our faith, but what is our response? Our response will determine our happiness. You know, if you're always going around and you think every time something bad happens to you, you just begin in the process of saying, oh, woe is me. We have this, it's, it's contrary, this, this, this principle here is contrary to the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. That out there that says, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're in God's will, everything is rosy and everything's happening for the good. Well, Jesus says, you know, Jesus got harassed. He got um, persecuted. And I know this is not a happy message today, but it's a reality, okay? As we talk about it, and we have to understand this in a real sense. So what is our response to harassment? How do you handle harassment when you're going to be persecuted for your faith? First of all, number one, you need to recognize the source. Recognize the source. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces. Let me ask you this. If you're a parent, what can, if, you, if I want to hurt you as a parent, how, what is the best way to come, directly attack you? No, to attack your kids. Do something to your kids. You know, Satan has no power over God. Zero power over God, the Bible says. But he can affect us as his his kids. And so one of the things that Satan will do is he will try to harass us by allowing, you know, or by trying to do things that make us get off track and and go the wrong way. Uh, Revelations 12.10 says this, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, talking about people who are followers of Christ. We're not a neutral, it's not, it's, it's a war zone. There are spiritual battles going on. So we have to recognize the source of the, of the harassment. Most of the time, it, Satan uses other things to happen to, to do that. It's number two, we need to refuse to retaliate. Uh, it, it says this in Romans 12, verses 17 and 19. If someone does evil to you, don't pay him back with evil. Never take revenge. Now, is that our normal way of doing things? No, we want to get them back. And we say, you know, we believe that uh, what, uh, uh, if you're not a Star Trek person, you won't have to understand at all what I'm talking about. But uh, in the Wrath, Wrath of Khan, I, I'm a Star trek so, uh, uh, you know, Khan says, revenge is what? Anybody know? The, the best, this best serve called, he says, I'll get you down the road when you never know about it. You know? Man, a fellow Trekkie, live long and prosper. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I have my bad moments too. Okay. Um, but we refuse to retaliate. You know, the problem in life is, is this, is we have to remember who the enemy is. The person attacking you is probably just a pawn. They're being used by Satan to do it. They don't understand they're being used by the devil. The world loves to find fault with Christians. Do you know that? Have you noticed that in the world? The world loves to find... If a, if, if a pastor, if I stole money or left my wife for another woman, do you think it would be in the local news? Probably so. If the guy down the street here, though, uh, that runs a convenience store, if he did it, would you think he would be a, uh, as big a splash? Probably not. There's something about, you know, that sensationalized. We see it all the time, the exact same things going on. I mean, when a national person, and it's because of who they are sometimes, but the thing is we have to refuse to retaliate. If anyone does evil to you, don't pay him back with evil. Never take revenge. Let God's wrath do it. Let God take care of it. Who can do it better? You or God? 
God can, I can tell you. Okay? God means righteous. He always does what is right. It, and, and, and he does it at the right time in the right way. So one of my responses to harassment is to refuse to retaliate. Number three, I need to re- respond positively. It says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when you're put down as your normal reaction to uh, respond positively, oh, this was great. I'm not saying being like in a fairyland here, but I'm saying is you never get ahead by trying to get even. The Bible says here, don't react, respond positively. It says in Matthew 5.44, just a few verses later, after this, the, the Beatitudes, it says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's a toughie, right? But the issue is, it's staying here, our, man, our attitude toward people changes the way we, 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 we focus on life. You cannot control what other people think about you are due to you, but what you can control is your reaction, how you react. See, the moment you start retaliating, they are in control. They are in control. And one of the greatest principles of life to learn is this. You, the only th- the freedom you have is the freedom to choose how you respond. You can't control how. And so the thing is, he's saying here, in life, if you want to be truly at peace and happy, realize that yeah, well, when things come and happen in your life because of your belief in God, the, the way to respond is, is to respond positively, to try, to try to do something positive. It says, overcome evil with good. And then the, the next principle is this, and I want to kind of camp out on this one for the remainder of our time this morning, is rejoice over it. Rejoice over it. If I'm going to uh, respond to harassment, if I really want to deal with the right way, that's the hardest part, to rejoice over it. Be, it says in verse 12a, the part of the verse that says, be glad and happy. When persecution comes. Now, what does that mean? He's not saying to rejoice in the pain. That's not what he's saying here. He he says, when people put down your faith, not because you're obnoxious or being pushy, but because you're being like Jesus, which means you're different, he says, don't complain, celebrate. Why? Why are some reasons that we should rejoice when people put us down because of our faith? Well, number one, let me give you several. Number one, it means that God's Spirit can be seen in my life. You know that that it's good for people to recognize that you're different for Jesus? Not we're different. But that you do things for Jesus? It says in 1 Peter 4.14, If you are insulted because of Christ, you are blessed. For God's Spirit rests on you. You know what it's saying? It's saying, it's saying once again, this whole thing he's saying uh, to us, it's, it, it's, if I'm not being persecuted, I need to ask myself, can anybody tell that I'm a believer? I heard, I forgot which pastor it was sometimes. He's um, uh, basically saying that you know, we have way too many, and I kind of remember the commercial was years ago. It just kind of came and went out of my mind just now. But it was a, they called them Lady Clairol Christians. What was Lady Clara? Only, what was the, 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 y'all remember that? Years ago. It was hilarious, but when I remembered it, but I just blew it right out of my mind. Anyway, I forgot about it in a minute. But basically, nobody can really know when you, it was about putting, uh, getting your hair, only your hairdresser knows for sure. Only your hairdresser knows for sure. That's what it was. I knew it had to be something, you know? You know? 
uh, you know, the thing is, is that it's so often in life, the thing is, is that we so much look like sometimes the rest of the world, we have to ask ourselves, you know, if, if we're, if we're, sometimes if we're persecuted, it means that God's spirit can be seen in our life because people see a difference in us. Number two, it means that God can trust me. It means that God can trust me. Uh, Acts 5.41, the apostles were full of joy that God considered them worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus' name. Now, isn't that interesting? They considered it something positive. They were full of joy that God considered them worthy to suffer. You're going like, this is a bunch of sick individuals, right? No, it's saying that they they were joining in with God in his mission. They were a part of something greater than themselves. I remember years ago, I was hearing Rick Warren at at a conference, and he was talking about a conference he'd been to. We were actually, Chris and I were at a conference out in, uh, out in California, and, and, and he was talking about a conference he'd just gotten back from from Amsterdam, where there was 10,000 evangelists from all over the world. Now, when we think of evangelists, what do you usually think about? These guys with these funky hairdos, you know? Big poofed up hair, you know? I, I hate them because they all have the hair. And the thing is, is, is uh, you know, we, no, these were guys who were from third world countries, who, who walked from village to village, some of them with no shoes, who basically shared the gospel. That's what these kind of evangelists were. And he shared about how uh, they came from all these third world countries. And, and uh, he said that when they got, many of them, he got reports back, when they got back to their countries because they were so persecuted in their countries, some of them were actually killed for simply attending this Christian conference. Now, we don't live in a world like that, do we? Where you're killed for your faith. But we, we sometimes, you know, I remember a few weeks ago, I take back what I said a few weeks ago. Sometimes I repent of my own, of my own teachings. Um, the, a few weeks ago I said, you know, it's, uh, don't you feel blessed to live in America where you have all this stuff and stuff? Like, and I began to realize, well, you know, sometimes a blessing and a curse is on the same, they're two sides of the same coin. Because we live in a country because, I, do you know that the church in Russia, the Christians in Russia, have continually for the last several years prayed for the Christians in America? Because they say this, that the, the Christians in Russia for years, they have been persecuted and they realize the persecution has made them stronger. You know what they pray for American Christians? That we'll have a little persecution. Make us stronger. Um, do you know the largest churches in the world? Where, where are they? Do you know? Korea. Korea, of all places, Korea. You know why they grew so much in the initial days? Because of the incredible persecution. You see, I heard one story that when the communists invaded um, uh, Korea, South Korea, one of the prominent pastors and his family were taken, taken captive. And the communists dug a big hole in the ground. They put the husband, his wife, and his three kids in the hole. Then they brought the whole city around, and they said, Now, pastor, renounce your faith, or we're going to bury your wife and kids alive. And his kids started crying and holding on to him and grabbing his legs and saying, Daddy, don't let us die. And he was getting ready to renounce his faith, and his wife put, his hand, put her hand over his mouth and wouldn't let him speak and told the kids to be quiet. He says, said this, he said, she said, we get to die for the glory of God. You know where the fastest, I told you a few weeks ago, the fastest growing church in the world is? There's more Christians in any country? China. China. There's more Christians in China than there is in America. 
And they cannot worship publicly. They have to do it secretly from house to house. And they have to do it. And they're getting a little bit more freedom. But the issue is for years because of the persecution. Now you have to really want to be a Christian to be a Christian in Russia or Korea or China. It's not casual Christianity. It's not this kind of... And so persecution in a real sense has been a blessing to them. Do you understand that? It's caused them to realize that, hey, I need to humble myself before God because I need God. I can't do it myself. And as you go through all these Beatitudes, they've, they've experienced those in their life. And the thing is, is that sometimes when we're persecuted, it means that God can trust us. Another thing we have to understand as well, another reason we can rejoice is because it's only temporary. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, these troubles won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessings upon us forever and ever. Paul put an eternal perspective on this. He said, I'm going to spend 70, 80, maybe 90 years upon this earth max, and then I'm going to spend millions of years in eternity. So doesn't it make sense that I would spend those 70 or 80 years maximizing what I can do for God so that I can spend eternity with God? Trusting God during those 70 or 80 years. So often in life, folks, I mean, you know what a mark of maturity is on a person, not just a Christian, of a person, is having a long-term view. When you're little, uh, how, 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 how long of a view, long-term view does a five-year-old have? Maybe lunch. You know, maybe tomorrow. You know, going on a trip, how far, are we there yet? You know, it's like five miles is a long, long way to go. But the thing is, as we mature, as we get older, we begin to look at longer-term things. And God says the, a believer is one who understands long-term what is most important in life, and they spend their time, their effort, their abilities, their resources on focusing on doing what's effective long-term. And it may result in some persecution, some hassle, hassling to your faith. But it's only temporary. And then he says this, another reason to rejoice is remember our reward. Remember your reward. Uh, it's Romans eight seventeen. Since we are God's children, if we share Christ's sufferings, we will also share in his glory. And then in Matthew 5, 12, while ago, the part of the verse that we just looking at in this beatitude, it says this, rejoicing be glad because what is your reward? A little is your reward. Is that what it says? It says, great is your reward. Great is your reward, not average, is your reward in heaven. For, for, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. History, you know that history tells us that of the, every one of the 11 remaining uh, disciples of Jesus, remember Judas was hung himself, but of the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus, of those all except John were martyred. Every one of them were martyred. It's interesting that in the early church, the word witness and the word Martyr eventually became the same Greek word. The word witness to someone who witnesses and one who martyrs because it almost came synonymous in the early church. Remember our reward. You know, Jesus says, uh, said this. He said, store up uh, treasures where? In heaven. He says, store up treasures in heaven. One of the ways you store up treasures in heaven is by responding like Jesus would when people put you down. 
When you're hassled, when you're persecuted, it's your attitude. Matthew 19, 29 says, Whatever you give up for the Lord's sake here on the earth, He will restore a hundredfold in eternity. It talks about this. Now, I don't understand. I'm not going to go into all the reward stuff this morning about heaven, okay? I don't have time to do that. But it does say that there's some kind of connection here, some kind of tie-in to us and about what God wants us to do. It doesn't give us salvation by doing things. But once we become a believer, realize that God wants to reward us for our, for our faithfulness to Him. And our faithfulness to Him, <clears throat> excuse me, what it may do is it may cause us to be hassled and persecuted. But He will reward us for that. And then he finally says that another reason to re- to re- uh, how to respond to harassment is this, is remain, or have joy, is remain faithful. Remain faithful. 1 Peter 4.19 says, So those who suffer according to God's will... Now, what does it say? Those who suffer according to what? God's... Now, underline that in certain... Well, if you go write that verse down, you don't have it on your outline, by the way. But think about that for a minute. What is that saying? That's saying sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. So, so those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And that's not a thing we often want to hear about because when you hear on television, what you hear on television is God wants you to always be happy, healthy, and wealthy, Right? But that's not the issue. The gospel tells us clearly here that so often what happens is, is when we follow Christ, what happens is, is that we, that we begin the process of sometimes being hassled for our faith. You know, the apostle Paul was absolutely unstoppable because people told him, you know, he was getting ready to go to Rome. And as he was getting ready to go to Rome, they knew something was going to happen in Rome, that people there or, or, excuse me, going to Jerusalem. People in Jerusalem there weren't, didn't like him. The religious people didn't like him because he had turned their, his back on them. The original religious people he was with when he became a believer. And they said, if you go there, what's eventually going to happen? You're going to die. Don't go there. And you know what Paul's response was? He says this. He says, no big deal. A guy's got to die sometime. I'm going to Jerusalem anyway. And he went and eventually led him going to Rome and getting, being killed. But he realized it was worth it for his faith to stand up for his principles. So I have to ask myself. I don't know about you, but I have to ask myself after all this. This is the questions I asked myself this week. What does it take to stop me from believing? Am I willing to stand in a pit in a, in a field in Korea to, uh, with my wife and my children And not denounce God because of my faith? Am I willing to go like the early disciples and believe that the the thing that Jesus is teaching and who Jesus stands for is more important to stand for that and to follow that than anything else? Am I willing to... Am I willing to go, to go, go out in the community and, 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 sh- and share my faith in some way and, and, be, and people make fun of me? You know? Am I willing to go to Cat and, and uh, stand, stand there? And, you know, I know you've got to be careful about what you do, guys. I understand. And girls, you know. But the issue is about, the, if, is it all right to, to say to people, you know, hey, I'm not going to do that because it's not what I believe. And you can take some harassment for that. I know that happens. How many people really know that I'm a Christian? How many people really know that you're a Christian? 
See, the number one reason that people don't share their faith is fear of rejection. What will they think if I tell them that God loves them? What will they think if I invite them to church? What will they, who cares what they think? If I see, you know, if I see somebody in a burning house and it's falling down and they're inside, all of a sudden many of us would lose our fear and we'd run inside the burning house and get, especially if we knew somebody. We'd get them out of there. Even if we didn't, we'd try to do something to help. There's, there's thousands of stories of people doing that over the years for total strangers. Did you know that there's 176,000 people who will die without Christ in the next 24 hours in our world? 176,000 people that will die without Christ in the next 24 hours. I have to ask myself, do I care? You know, every time I do that, snap my fingers, three people die and spend an eternity without Christ. Now, if I stand up for Christ, if I, if I follow Christ in my life, I will be hassled. I may be persecuted. Jesus is honest. He never, he never paints this rosy picture of, follow me and everything's going to be wonderful. But he does say this, follow me. Follow me and, and follow my plan for your life and trust in me and I will get you through all of this and you will have peace and you will have uh, some sense of real joy, inner peace in the midst of all the chaos of life, even when you're hassled. I love the story of a missionary, a true story, who had gone overseas and spent his life in Africa. It was at the end of World War II, and he had lost his wife and his family to malaria. He'd spent 60 years slaving away. Nobody hardly knew about it. You know, back then there wasn't a lot of communication going on. And, and, and he, he was coming home, a broken man. His health was broken. He was dying. He didn't have uh, friends in America because he spent his whole life in Africa. And he happened to come home on the same plane that Dwight Eisenhower came back on at the end of World War II. Dwight Eisenhower was a hero, a general, a well-known person. And when the airplane landed in New York, they opened the door, they rolled out the red carpet, and there were bands and confetti and signs everywhere that says, Welcome home, Ike. And everybody was thrilled and shouting. And the missionary came off the plane and saw all those people welcoming Eisenhower. And he started getting a little discouraged. And he, and he said, the devil said to him, this is what you gave up. You lived for the Lord all of your life. And now you're sick and you're old. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. You're lonely. You're dying. You're, you know, he said, he started feeling sorry for himself. And he said, that is when God reminded him, you're not home yet. You see, five minutes, I don't think it'll be five minutes, when we get to heaven, when we've served God and we've done the things that really get, may, make a difference in our life and make a difference in eternity, five minutes into heaven, I don't think any of us will say, I wish I'd done, you know, what we'll say, we'll say things like, why didn't I love more? Why didn't I witness more? Why didn't I give more? Why didn't I serve more? Why didn't I make my life count more? Those 60 or 70 or 80 years. Why did I waste it on things that didn't matter for eternity? See, Jesus is telling us in these parables, in these stories, in these beatitudes, he's saying, if you want to really live life that makes, that has joy and peace, not this external happiness stuff, 
that only lasts a few moments. What he's saying to us is that we need to commit ourselves to him fully. You know, if you look at the Beatitudes, it's really, it's the way we come to Christ. Just look at it. Because if you've never come to the place of saying, God, I can't do it myself, I humble myself before you, I give myself to you, that's the first step in coming to Jesus Christ. God, I want to mourn over my sin. I'm sorry for what, I do in my, what I've done in my life. That's the second step in coming to Christ. And you just follow down the path of the Beatitudes. I want to hunger and thirst, God, about the things that you want me to hunger and thirst about. See, only in Christ can we, can we really truly be happy. Only in Christ can we find peace and joy in the midst of the chaos of life that we're in. So how are you using your life? I mean, yeah, you might have a lot of stuff, but does it bring you happiness? God wants us to have, really, the kind of happiness that only comes to committing ourselves fully to Him. And you never experience that unless you say yes to Him. I loved what Woodrow Wilson had to say. He said, I'd rather temporarily lose with a cause that will ultimately succeed than temporarily succeed with a cause that will ultimately lose. The only cause that will ultimately succeed is the things that we do for Christ, is, is eternity with God. And it only comes by seeking Him with all of our heart. So how do you, how do you deal with that? How, what do you do? You commit yourself to Him fully. This morning as we close, I want to ask you a question. Fan could come on out now too and be ready for a song in a minute. Um, You know, if you've never come to Christ or you're simply kind of riding the fence, you will never, let me just guarantee this, I know this from Scripture and I know this from personal experience, you will never have peace and joy in your life. Never. But when you come to Christ and say humbly to Christ, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you in my life. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to hunger and thirst about the things that you hunger and thirst for. I want to commit myself fully to you. I want to be a peacemaker, a person who forgives. I want to realize that even when I'm rejected by people and people hassle me, that, that, that it's all right because it's going to mean that, some, you know, that, that I'm really probably doing the things that God wants me to do because people don't like me. But ultimately, people... You will find the joy and the peace that comes in life only through a relationship with God. And so this morning, as we close this morning, I want to ask you, if you've never come to that place in your life and you'd like to talk to somebody about it, I'm going to be over in the prayer room this morning following our service time. If you'd like to come to talk with me or someone else over there about that, you're welcome to do that as well. I challenge you to go back and read through the Beatitudes and ask yourself the question, do I do those things in my life? Is that the inner place that I am? Or is it God, is there something that you want me to do in, in a next step with you? Because this is the very basic part of what it means to be a believer. A person who experiences happiness and joy in a real way. Even in the midst of the struggles of life. Let's pray right now. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information go to greatoakcc.org.